right. Playing. All right. All right. I love the graphic. Guys. Ready to rock and roll. Welcome. Awesome. Oh, nice. <laughs> got a haircut for you guys. It's, you look is like it, a completely different person. That's a green screen, huh? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, welcome to the show. So is it Lane Kawaka? Uh, Kawaoka. Kawaoka. Okay. Yeah. So you're a real estate investor with over 3,000 properties. You're an author. You wrote some real estate books. You're a writer for Forbes. And you're the host of Simple Passive Cashflow Podcast, correct? Yeah. All right. 4,200 units, but nobody counts. <laughs> <laughs> that must have been an outdated number we found. Yeah, it, it probably was. It's just vanity metrics. But yeah, let's see yeah. how we can help out your folks and talk about how to buy, where to buy, what's the numbers and stuff like that. I want to know where I can get one of those green screens because that's awesome. <laughs> I think it's not that. It's like one of those like pop-up ones. It goes like, it's like oh, 80 okay. bucks. It, like, it goes tight instead of like that. That's other pretty stuff. awesome. It looks great. Um, yeah, so you're in Hawaii, Honolulu. I'm very jealous. We're in Connecticut. It's like 13 degrees outside right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. It's, it's raining like cats and dogs here, but it's still 70 <laughs> degrees. Yeah. So what are what do you think are the inherent risks of owning, owning real estate compared to owning stocks? Yeah. So the nice thing about stocks is it's pretty liquid, right? You can get in, get out. And mm -hmm. there with real estate, you have to manage the damn thing, right? You have tenants in there. Mm -hmm. And there are things that can go wrong that come with people, right? People live in these properties. But I mean, just go get more properties and hire a professional property manager. And after a while, all the, the kind of the, the ups and downs kind of even itself out at the end of the day, for the most part. Okay. And also, so for stocks, of course, you have expense ratios. Um, the one big fee that comes into my mind with real estate is property taxes. Is that a big deal at all when owning real estate or... Well, I mean, whenever you buy a property, you want to be able to make sure you're going to cash flow at the end of the month, right? Even if you have a kind of worse than average month. So we look at this thing called the rent to value ratio. So you take the monthly rent divided by the purchase price, and we're looking for something 1% or higher. Mm, so a lot okay. of the properties that I'll have, you know, students kind of target in the beginning are, you know, $100,000 houses that rent for a thousand bucks. So that's 1%. Um, okay. But, you know, people that live in California, you'd be lucky to find a $400,000 house in the ghetto that rents for two grand. So 2000 divided 400 is half a percent. That that ain't going to work. Yeah. Right? Because on a monthly basis, I mean, a thousand bucks, you're going to pay a hundred bucks for repairs, hundred bucks for professional property management, um, another hundred bucks for CapEx. So like, you know, putting money on the side for the roof, all these big repairs that are eventually going to happen. And then you're going to pay your principal instant insurance taxes and insurance your piti which you kind of mentioned the insurance the, the taxes and insurance there and then you're left with some cash flow and it's a very small portion of your rents but that's that's how we chip away at it right yeah so well, i also noticed that you you paid four percent of taxes in 2018 so you earned 136,000, and you only paid 5,784. was that from writing off expenses on others on like losses and stuff or how did you manage that yeah, so so here's the the thing. This year I paid no taxes actually. Um, I don't know why Mr. Trump paid seven hundred fifty bucks. He probably screwed. <laughs> Somebody screwed up. He probably chewed him out after. <laughs> but um, I mean, here's here's the gist of it, right? And this is what I think a lot of people don't understand why they, they don't understand about real estate and why they don't choose real estate as opposed to stocks. 
when you buy and trade stocks, right? It's ordinary income. Boo, nobody likes that. That sucks, right? Because you're paying the highest tax rate. And with real estate, you're able to deduct the price of the asset over 27 years. So, you know, like a house, right? House, they say it degrades, right? Whether it does or doesn't, doesn't matter. The taxes say you degrade it over 27 years. But on large apartment deals that we do, we cost segregate the asset. So with current bonus depreciation laws, we can write off a third of the asset in the first year. So we're making huge, huge first year paper losses that we can use to offset other passive income. Or there's a little caveat here. Um, there's a thing called real estate professional status. If you're able to obtain that on your taxes, now you unlock the barrier and are able to offset ordinary income also. So, so how many of these are ahead. how many of these are uh, Hawaii state laws and federal? Like, what's the how many? Of these uh, it's are, all federal. It's all it's federal. federal. Yeah, so and how, I don't I don't own any property in Hawaii. I just live here. I mean, nothing oh, okay. will cash flow here. Nothing will cash flow in California. Yeah, we're mostly in the south, southeast, and and again, we we try and stay to red states. Not to say anything politically, but I mean, typically landlord friendly laws there. Yes. So, so I was just going to say for a second, though. How did you get into real estate? Yeah. So I um, walked this linear path that I think a lot of people in my audience have walked where we're all kind of misled and told to go to school, study hard, get a good job. Um, for some reason, I became an engineer, must have been good at math and science when I was eight or nine. So um, yeah, like a good little boy, I, I went and became an engineer, started working, started saving my money to buy a house to live in because that's what everybody says to do, right? Which I don't necessarily agree with. And oh, by the way, put your money in this retirement fund and supposedly you'll be able to retire in 50 to 60 years. Um, so I, I bought that house to live in, right? But I was never home because I was traveling all the time for work as, much, as a lot of new young professionals are supposed to do that. Uh, for their company, be the road warrior. So I started to rent it out. And, um, you know, that first property in Seattle, I bought for $350,000, 20% down payment. Uh, the rents were 2200 a month. The mortgage was 1600 And to young 20-something-year-old kid, that was a lot of beer money back then. And I was like, shoot, if I just keep doing this again and again, I'll be out of the rat race and be able to fire my boss. So to be, to be, fair, <laughs> to be fair, being an engineer... Um... You had a higher income um, earning capability, though, that did help you in in the end, correct? Right, right. So like a lot of my clients today, they're more on the higher pay scale. Um, and that's, you know, we're passive investors, right? This is real estate investing. You need money to invest. Uh, if not, you got a money problem, right? So all this wholesaling, flipping houses, tax liens, this is all active stuff, right? This is all for the bros that are making less than 50, 60 grand a year. I don't know how to do that stuff, right? Like if you make over, if you make a professional salary and you're good with your money, you're not in huge debt, this is a great way to build like reliable cash flow streams for yourself. Okay. So for also for, so for stocks, there's a capital gains tax, obviously that's lower than your regular ordinary income tax. Do you have any strategies for stocks on how to get your taxes lower? I know you have your real estate strategies, um, but do you have any for stocks? All I know is like, if you got a loser, then dump it at the end of the year so you can take that loss. Yeah. But I'll be honest, I stay outside of stocks. I mean, I got rid of all my 401k, all that type of stuff a long time ago. And, and part of that is I'm an operator, right? So I, 
operators or, or, or people who do one thing kind of focus on one thing. So I'm not somebody to emulate, right? I'm not going to have your balanced diet of a portfolio. A lot of my clients still, they, they invest in syndications, they have rentals, and they have a little portion of their stock portfolio too. I mean, nothing wrong. I have no qualms with that. But for myself, I have no paper assets. Yeah, so um, I was reading about also how you talk about how you almost got fired from your job and then you vowed to never be put in a vulnerable position again. And I, Kevin O'Leary sort of had a similar story when he was a teenager. He was working in an ice cream shop. Oh, yeah, I heard that story. Yeah, there yeah, was a, there was a, a cute story. girl and he didn't want to scra scrape gum off the floor. Um, and he said to the owner, you hired me to scoop ice cream. You didn't hire me to scrape gum off the floor. And she said, no, you're an employee. You do what you, you do what I tell you. And then she fired him. And he's like, that was actually a great experience for me because I was never an employee ever again in my life. Do you have a, like a story sort of like that? Since I know you kind of mentioned that on your website, I think it was. Yeah, I mean, I guess I guess my thing is like, you know, that that job allowed me to get the down payment money. Right. And to start my investing. And I bought my first property in 2009. I bought another property in 2011 after it took me two damn years to save up again. Then I bought another property in 2013 in Birmingham, Alabama. And I, and at that time, those two properties in Seattle had appreciated. So I sold that, those and bought nine. And in 2015, I had 11 properties, but that's not that much cash flow. That's only like maybe a few thousand bucks a month. And if you can see by the timeline, this is not a get rich quick thing, but it's a get rich surely thing that you can be done whether a recession is happening or not. When you invest for cash flow, which is very different for investing for appreciation, which I think most investors invest for, I mean, it's always hunting season. Okay, so, Tony, do you have anything to add? Yeah, so I want to talk about Forbes. I want to talk about your writer for Forbes. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. How did you come across? How did you go about uh, becoming a writer? Like, what's the process for that? Um, I just write a lot of stuff on my blog. Well, most of the stuff I do is like podcasts. I'm not a very good, good writer. Um, yeah. I mean, just like very, I think it's You're hard just... for like people in my arena where like, we're talking about very alternative things, right? We're not talking about the stuff that all that financial dogma they want you to talk about. Yeah. Like, not really like streamlined stuff. Yeah. I mean, and that's what upset me from the start, right? That's why I started doing this blog and podcast because I learned very quickly, like in my rental properties, I'm making like 30 something percent a year. And I look at my retirement funds. And I'm like, well, I'm only making eight to 10% there. Right. When you, when you, in real estate, you make money with cash flow, right? Which I kind of went over and that's obvious, but you're also making money leverage with appreciation the tax benefits to pay less taxes and the tenants paying down your mortgage. You're having the equity build up. So you're making right. upwards of 30% a year. And I was like, what the heck, what's going on here? Oh, okay. So wall street has created this big system to make everybody work at these jobs. They don't potentially don't like for 40, 50 years. And that upset me. And that why I kind of just started to write about this stuff. And I think I got lucky that I got surrounded by the right people. I started to join different masterminds and see what the wealthy people are doing. And they're doing very stuff very differently than your average American consumer. But the frustrating thing is that the things they're doing is not that it's not, not something that the average person can't do. It's just there's right. a lot of like misinformation out there. Like the stuff that your mom told you is all wrong. 
you just gotta you have to have you have to be smart and diligent about saving so that once you have a nest egg you can actually take that money and do something with it and make something and multiply that money right so but the problem there is most people suck at saving money right, right right like just like buying a house to live in what it comes down to is if you suck at saving money buying a house is a good thing for you because it's essentially a for savings account you can't keep your grubby hands off your money and save it, right? So but that, if you're a- oh, well, I was going to say that that goes to my next question was, should you be buying or should you be renting? And it sounds like you're definitely, you should be buying. Most people should buy, but if you are good with your money and able to save it and near market for an investment, you're going to make a higher return with said investment. Therefore, you shall not buy. I don't buy, I rent. I rent where I live. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so what do you think of, what do you think of, or I don't know if you know anything about them. I assume you do. What do you think about real estate, real estate investment trusts for the average person who can't afford to actually invest in real estate? Are they similar in any way? Do they have any of the same benefits of real estate or are they completely different? Yeah. So the, the problem with like mutual funds is they're just like bastardized versions of a bunch of stocks where the middlemen just get rich. Wall Street gets rich. REITs are the same thing as mutual funds, but they just happen to be investing in real estate. I think the biggest, I mean, I'm not a big fan of like investing in real estate per se, but I'm a bigger fan of investing where all these middlemen aren't just stealing your money, right? That's what my big thing is. Like I said, when you're doing it on your own and you don't know much and you just buy a, like a halfway decent rental, you're making 30% of your money. How the F are you making eight to 10% in your stock market, right? Stuff who's taking my money and that's what's going on here a REIT is an institutionalized retail product sold to the masses and as you know it comes with a price tag right it's like shopping at Nordstrom well you you could also say that if you do buy a property and you're going to rent it out you now you're the landlord so you're responsible for fixing everything that goes wrong and you could have some you could incur some massive uh renovation projects on your hand that where you might not have cash flow for that like if you have a leak in the roof you need to redo your roof or your hot water heater goes or you could incur some pretty large uh expenses too right and and that was the first question we we started with right like there's these concerns right and it's like cool don't do it because it makes us better for the rest of us who've actually done it and realize it's not that bad well i think what you're i think what sorry to cut you off i think what you're saying is you have to save up that cash for it. So you have that cash flow. Eventually, if you don't have that down payment and you don't have an emergency fund, it's probably not a good idea to buy a property to rent it out. Right. So let's walk yeah. through one of those things where you have a leak, right? What do they cost? If you grand that works, right? So you want yeah. to be property capitalized, right? What's the risk? How do you mitigate it? Right. How do you professionally and properly mitigate it? Well, you have some cash reserves, right? So yeah, you buy a hundred thousand dollar house i normally tell people well you need 20 percent down payment right because it's a non-owner occupied property so 20 percent of 100 grand is 20 grand right maybe add on some closing costs on there but maybe also have five grand in the bank right at least for right? sure I mean, for it's sure. a prudent thing to do right it's very simple and that's um, another thing we we preach a lot on our our show is you must have an emergency savings before you invest in anything like if you don't have six months of uh, living expenses in a saving in a liquid savings account you shouldn't be investing or buying anything 
you know, work on that. And we're trying to teach financial literacy, you know? Right, right. But there's two camps of financial literacy, right? Most people are in Susie Orman, Dave Ramsey, like, don't spend any money. Don't go into debt, right? It's bad. Right. It's not even. But yep. because they're they're talking to a bunch of kids, financially kids. You're like, right. You're right. I talk to more people where they are already already financially responsible. It's the minority out there, but there's a lot of people like that where the, these are the guys who are prudently maxing out their 401ks. And for those people, it's like it's like a double-edged sword, right? They can use that and buy, acquire massive amounts of good debt to create large streams of cash flow. I agree. So, Someone that you remind me of is, uh, you probably watch him, Graham Stephan. Uh, he does like, I don't know if you know who he is. He's a YouTuber and he's really into real estate and he does like the same thing that you do and he talks about leveraging your debt and so you kind of remind me. He actually yeah. talked about writing off your expenses too. Uh, yeah, he's he's got like millions of followers on, on YouTube. He's a pretty popular real estate investor. But you two, you you said a lot of the same stuff he says. Yeah, I mean, it's not rocket science, right? Yeah. But it's very yeah. different than what is ma- mainstream is out there. Yeah, uh, I, I saw it. I wanted to transition to one thing. Uh, so I was looking through your some of your Forbes, uh, your Forbes articles. And one of them was, is it worth investing in commodities? I believe that's one you wrote, had your name on it. Um, and this is a question I ask a lot of people. And it's very confusing for me too, because I feel like if I'm going to be buying gold from uh, a market, I'm not really buying gold. I'm buying a gold mining company. You know, like I, I just don't see the value in it. And it's very confusing. What's your take on commodities like gold, silver and stuff like that? Well, I, I have kind of like three big rules of investing. So like the thing I invest in needs to have these things. First, it needs to be leverageable. Right? Real estate, obviously you get some of the best phenomenal financing from our government, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, pseudo government companies, right? I guess you could you could leverage gold, right? I mean, that's effectively what the mining stocks are, right? You're not wanting the underlying asset, but you're effectively leveraging them thing. Um, so I give you that, right? Next thing is cash flow, right? The asset needs the cash flow. And this is where real estate does that. It puts food on my table every single month, right? Whereas the gold doesn't, right? Bitcoin doesn't. So you'd um, recommend, uh, sorry, go ahead, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, so you, you're probably a fan of uh, dividend paying stocks if you were to be investing, like you would want to invest for passive income. If, if I if I had to invest in paper assets, I would. Yeah, but that's what a lot of my investing is. I, I like uh, dividend ETFs and index funds. Yeah. So I like having a return, even if the market crashes, I'm still getting paid. So it doesn't even matter, yeah. you know, but, but the reason why I choose real estate is it, it beats the pants off the dividend return for sure. Yeah, for mind. sure. But also it's ordinary. It's not ordinary income. It's passive income, right? Which I can use my passive losses that more than exceed how much I make to zero me out. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I think one of the reasons, uh, people choose the stock market is also it's because there's a there's sort of a paywall for real estate you need like 20 25 30 grand um so the stock market while you may get less returns it's also like pretty easy to start investing and it's better than doing nothing you know yeah it's accessible right and i think but that's why i like real estate because not any bro can do it so yeah yeah yeah. but i think stocks Stocks is a good place to start, right? To generate that 20 grand to then step up. More importantly, you need to have credit. You need to have a lot of things 
to do that. Like if you, if you have a 650 credit or even a 700 credit score, you're not going to get the best interest rate for, for buying a house. Right. Right. But the, here's the crazy thing, right? If you're an accredited investor, you just come into syndications. You don't get any debt in your name. Like personally, like I just screw around with like trade lines and all this other random stuff and credit. Again, this is the stuff I did in my like teens and twenties because it was fun to me. And I had to stop doing it for a little while because I had to get loan, you know, loans on these properties. But when you go to bigger commercial deals, my personal credit means absolutely nothing. I have as much fun and get the Chase Sapphire Reserve. And this is like another paradigm of like how the wealthy live. It doesn't matter what your credit score is. Yeah. So it's, could you could you explain that a little more on why I wasn't really understanding why why the credit score doesn't matter when you're basically when you've gotten started already and you can, you can afford to buy like more expensive stuff. I guess yeah. So saying. when you when you're an accredited investor, you're going into more private placements and syndications, country club deals, right, where the sponsors are getting the loans in their own personal names and you, the investor, the passive LP investor you're not being underwritten and it's not going on your credit report. The okay. loans aren't in your name. So it doesn't even matter. Okay. That, that makes point. sense. That makes yeah. sense. Okay. And the more properties you have too, you can leverage that for, for loans too, because you can use that as uh, assets towards a loan. Right. Yeah. So what you're talking about is like guys buying, you know, rental properties, maybe like one to 20 assets. Right. But there's a paradigm shift when you become more of an accredited investor that I think a lot of people, and Graham Stephan doesn't really know too much about this because he doesn't play in this room. He's still dinkering with his own single family homes, but for a lot of high net worth doctors, dentists, lawyers, engineers, net worth of a million dollars and more, right. You're just a passive investor and the loans aren't being in your name. Right. So it doesn't matter. Okay. And, and this is what it's frustrating because I feel, I see so many people struggling out there to get their credit score up. Right. But here I am. I don't, it doesn't even matter. Right. It, the app, cause in the bigger deals, the asset is underwritten, right? The bank underwrites the asset yeah. as yeah. well as underwrites the person. Well, once again, when you first started, you have to have a good credit score to start out. You, that you is didn't correct. Yeah. You didn't just start out to where you don't need it. You, you know, like, we're all, like we're in our on our channel. We're talking to people that are starting from the the bottom, so they don't really understand. Like I know where you're coming from because you've been so yeah. successful for so long you're now. Clearly, a very smart yeah. guy. <laughs> yeah, and you're an engineer, and it takes a lot. You know, you know, it takes a high IQ to to be a civil engineer. Well, I mean, I I'm not a I'm a shitty engineer. Let's get that straight, <laughs> right. Like what I do is like this real estate stuff is super easy. The stock stuff is hard to me. Right. You buy a house, you put somebody in it, you have a property manager around it, done. Right. I think the stocks is confusing for me. Mm -hmm. I, mean, I don't claim to be a super smart guy. And that's what's nice about real estate. Any Joe Bro can do it. All it's right. Not rocket science. Yeah. I mean, do you have anything to add, Tony? That's pretty much, I've pretty much gone through all my notes on what I wanted to talk about. No. Can you, um, We'll attach all your links to our just video description for your uh, for your pages, your website and stuff. And uh, he's also got it on his green screen. If anyone green screen, if anyone wants yeah. to check that out. <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah. I mean, I just like you know, people want to learn more about single family home investing. Check out my podcast. I, I would say the first six six or dozen are more about like where do you buy, what what do the numbers look for. Um, I kind of changed my strategy as I became more of a credit investor, but 
I mean, I think, you know, stocks and, you know, real estate, I think they both have a place in everybody's portfolio. Everyone's a little bit different how they like to chop and slate their asset lo- asset allocation. So yeah, um, I sure. think the important thing is just like being good with your money. Don't spend it on like random stuff, right? Invest it and grow it and then eventually it'll pay for itself. Yeah. Well, we're hitting our uh, time limit here, but thank you, Lane. It's been very informative and uh, yeah, that- it's a nice little spin because we don't usually talk about real estate. And um, I think it's a, it's good for people to know that there's other uh, ways to invest other than the stock market. So, yeah. Thank you so much. We really appreciate it. It was a great podcast. Yeah. Cool. Thanks guys. Thank you. Appreciate it. Hey, hey everybody. I just wanted to take a minute to say thank you to all our listeners and subscribers out there. Um, One thing that would help us out a lot is if you give us a rating and please leave a review. Tell us what you like. Tell us what you didn't like. And if you have any suggestions for future shows of of any type of subjects you would want us to cover, let us know. We're open to all suggestions. And um, also, the last thing I would say is it's also very, very helpful if you go over to our YouTube channel and you subscribe to that as well. And the YouTube channel has a lot of great, uh, we added a lot of photos and helpful aids that will help you understand a little bit better the things we discuss in the podcast. But um, once again, thanks for all your support and uh, stay tuned for the next episode.